Dang it. That was such a good bit. That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can still keep it. I we feel like we need back. to keep going. She went There's all, no way I'm cutting that there out. There's water all over Abigail's face right now. <laughs> I think we need to take a break, Candace. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Inconclusive, the podcast where we randomly select topics and argue about them. Coming up Inconclusive, my name is James. My name is Abigail. And my name is Candace. All three of us are educators at an international school in Taiwan and bring wildly different perspectives to the table. It is important to note that our individual opinions do not necessarily reflect those of our employer. Okay, let's begin. and welcome to the first episode on our new series about space. hey Today we're going to be talking about aliens. And the, Ugh, and the question being posed is, could aliens exist? I want to define what we're talking about, alien life. So alien, uh, to define for this, would be extraterrestrial life. And extraterrestrial is anything originating outside of Earth. Um, I want to start us off with a quote from Helen Sharman. She was a British astronaut who went to the Russian Mir space station in 1991. And she is quoted as saying, aliens exist. There's no two ways about it. There must be all sorts of different forms of life among the billions of stars. So I have a question. Yes. Why can we trust her? Is it just because she's an astronaut? I feel like there's a little bit of, um, I don't know, someone who's been out there who has formed opinions based upon actually being able to be in a place as to which aliens are supposed to exist. I think there's some ethos there that we want to believe what she says because she's been out there. Mm. But also she herself in the quote says after there must be aliens simply because of the sheer number of billions of stars. She says aliens exist, but then she said they must exist because of just the sheer size of the universe. It's really hard for people, I think, to think about humans being the only thing that we know about as far as intelligent life on Earth, even though other other species on Earth that are also intelligent and even more so than humans, just not in the same combination as us or in the same way of running the world. So I think that it's hard for humans to think we're the only ones. So I, I see that she's just saying, the universe is so big. There has to be something else out there. Yeah. I like to think about it, right? It's so vast and yet probably not empty. So It's not empty. It's just full of dead rocks. And boiling gas burning balls. billions of yeah. miles away. And alien life. So let's define our terms before we go any farther. Uh, let's define aliens first, but we're I'm defining it as extraterrestrial life. And then to define extraterrestrial, it would be life not originating on Earth. Is that okay? With Sounds everyone? good to me. That's literally a good definition of extraterrestrial. Thanks. Love it. Good job, Google. Um, I also want to go and say, like, as we're continuing with this conversation, I don't think that alien life has to be humanoid or intelligent, even life, for it to be fascinating to think about, right? Like, I think it's really fun to think of, oh, the UFOs and Roswell and Area 51 and all of these sightings and things, like, full of um, beings who are highly intelligent to come in. But I also think that the more likely as to what we're going to find is microorganisms on other planets that are existing in these places that didn't originate from Earth that are bacteria or viruses or any kinds of small single-celled or multi-celled organisms that are thriving in different conditions than humanity is on Earth. Um, so what do you think would be the significance of finding a microorganism on another planet? Like, why does that... Thrill your soul. To, I mean, to be completely honest, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, like, we, okay, we great. We found a, whatever, a plankton <laughs> on Mars in a f underground Martian plankton. Martian plankton. Okay. I, I feel like the value would be finding something that's intelligent enough to like exchange technology or get conquered by, right? Mm. I mean, that's that always in this, you know, so. I was saying that's where your brain would go because you're the history teacher. So you're looking <laughs> at it as a civilization that's part of the larger chess pieces of all these other groups that 
attack each other, take over each other's lands and resources and whatnot. Right. But if we're just going to find, like, if the if the hope is to find a microorganism, at least, right, like, there's probably a microorganism, you know, what would that... What would that prove to you, Abigail? <laughs> that would like prove- that you were right? That aliens... <laughs> I mean, would you even count that as an alien? Yeah, that would be counted as an alien You would count life. a microorganism yeah. as an alien? I mean, I think scientifically, that, that scientifically would be counted as an extraterrestrial life form, too. Like, okay, but it I doesn't mean, really like, but it doesn't fit with like what we think of, which you'd already clarified. At the yeah, beginning. I did already clarify. Okay, but sure. I was gonna say the significance of that is if a microorganism is there, why not more? Mm. So like it kind of begins mm. that tantalizing of oh we've gone this far and we found this, so if we go this much farther, what's the next thing that we're going to find? I think it shows that um, Earth is not the only one that either has been inhabited or is inhabited depending on which way that you want to look at it. So how do you think such a life would have originated? How do I think such a life would have originated? Yeah, like, let's say a microorganism exists. I think it would be different if it was in this solar system versus outside the solar system. Because I think there's, I don't know if there's a scientific consensus, but there's an idea that, like, the solar system that we inhabit is very rare in terms of the kind of like the window of opportunity that life can exist, you know? Oh, the Goldilocks zone? The Goldilocks yeah. zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's called the Sick. Goldilocks zone because it's so... Yeah, I think that's... I, first not of all, that's like a super cool point. Point. Right. Just exactly right. Yeah, it's huh. called the Goldilocks zone. Interesting. Um, actually, a, a recent scientific study just suggested that within our galaxy, there every star hosts an average of two pre- planets that would be in the Goldilocks zone. Really? Yeah. How do you... How do you even know? How can you know that? Being able to observe. I mean, I mean, I mean I'm not an astronomer. <laughs> Just being able to observe and take down like, yeah. the temperature and the range I'm sure. the, that temperature is in throughout the year. But that planet would be in well, data processing. Well, it has to do with like, distance yeah. from the nearest star, like heat and all that yeah. radiation, stuff like that. The Lots kind of, of atmosphere, right? Yeah. But with all of that being said, um, I found an article that I thought was really interesting that has nine strange scientific reasons for why humans might not have found aliens yet. yet. And I found this on live. Wait, how, why we may have, may why not we have. haven't found oh, aliens okay. yet. Sorry. Um, and it's from live science, which we have a disagreeance amongst the three of us as to whether or not it's a credible source. James and I agree that it would be fine. Candace is on the fence. I don't like it because I like sources where they directly are in and of themselves the the source. Like the this not every article on live science is is written by someone who is reputable on the subject linked to itself and its credibility. There are like some articles that'll link you to like health pages or something else. Cause I've had students try to use live science before and I'm like, where did you get this information? And they're saying livescience.com and I'm like, oh it's a dot com, it's a company, it's kind of sketchy. So if you're in my seventh grade class and you're listening next year, do not use life science with Miss Brown. Please don't. <laughs> so the first one is aliens are hiding in underground oceans. Ooh. So. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Sorry. Please continue. Submarine tell, tell us aliens. more. Subsurface oceans of liquid water slosh beneath multiple moons in our solar system in <laughs> Really? We're going to do a Little Mermaid version of aliens? Ursula's coming out. And maybe common throughout the Milky Way, astronomers say. NASA physicist Alan Stern thinks clandestine water worlds like these could provide the perfect stage for evolving life if inhospitable surface conditions plague those plants. The impacts in solar flares in nearby supernova and what or and what orbit you're in and whether you have a magnetosphere or whether there's a poisonous atmosphere, none of those things matter for life that's underground. And I think this kind of goes back again specifically, you mentioned like little mermaid version, but if you're talking about looking for microorganisms, tons of microorganisms live in the water, right? Sure. So I have a question because you said the word evolution and I I hadn't really thought about this before, but like when we talked about on our series on environment, we talked about a little bit about like how species change and evolve over time and we um, macro versus macro micro. versus yeah. microevolution. And so it seems like if we're talking about like I think microevolution um, occurs. I don't, I'm not really sure about macroevolution, like species emerging out of nothing or out of 
I don't know how macro evolution mm. would begin with nothing. Big Bang, I guess. Mm. Um, but like, I don't. So I like, I don't believe it necessarily in macro evolution. Do you, or how does that like? How do you fit that with your worldview? Yeah. So my worldview includes a incredibly creative God. That's one of the ways that um, that I view God, which we've talked about before. Um, and because of that, I think. And I also think he's totally sovereign and able to do anything that he wants. And I think that he does and can do anything that he wants. I personally believe that on Earth, he created each species according to its kind. Um, and then microevolution, as the planet has changed and become fallen, right, has occurred to keep species, the preservation of species. But I also think that that doesn't mean that it couldn't be macroevolution if we're talking about alien situations. God could totally put a microorganism on a planet and be like... I want you to turn into a uh, frog in a few years. And hmm. I think it could totally be fine because God can do whatever he wants. I have a hard time with that logic though, because what's just, if let's, let's say that macro evolution would cause problems in our worldview on earth. I have a hard time thinking like the, the, the laws of physics and reality as we know it would be different one planet to the next other than that planet's specific uh, laws being different, like gravitational pull. I get how gravitational pull could make uh, life react differently on other planets. Like t- it could slow time down. Like the mm-hmm. there's that there's lots of different movies that have talked about that kind of problem. You and have. like atmospheric pressure, right? Deep deep ocean animals. But I have a hard time thinking that that could make an entirely um, radical new process happen on another planet when it doesn't happen on ours. I don't think. And with that. Let's take a quick break. Welcome to Currently Reading with Abigail. Today's book is The Murmur of Bees by Sofia Segovia. This beautifully written book takes place during the late 1910s and early 1920s in northern Mexico. Disfigured and covered in a blanket of bees, little Samanopio is welcomed by landowners Francisco and Beatrice Morales, who adopt him and take care of him as if he were their own. As he grows up, Samanopio is followed by his protective swarm of bees and seems to be able to deliver his adoptive family from threats, both human and those from nature. The story is set against the backdrop of the Mexican Revolution and the devastating influenza of 1918. The murmur of bees captures both the fate of a country in flux and the destiny of one family that has put their love, faith, and future in the unbelievable. See you next time. Hi, and welcome back. Candace. right before the break, you just mentioned that um, you think that different planets, different rules wouldn't make micro versus macro evolution change between mm-hmm. planets. Um, I think, or not, not change, but just that macro evolution, if it doesn't exist on one planet, I don't think it can exist on another planet just because that planet has different atmospheric pressure and gravitational pull and all of that. And I think where my disagreements would be is I don't think that the atmospheric pressure, gravitational pull actually would matter or the different, uh, the idea of the physics of it. I think that God could make it happen if he wanted it to happen. Just like it's, it seems improbable to people who don't have a deistic worldview that God created the world, but it's really easy for me to believe because I believe in a God, right? Mm. I think in the same kind of a way, because I believe in a creative God, I believe that it's super probable that he could have different ways of starting things just because, you know, he can, because why, why wouldn't he want to, Mm. you know, you think of artists, right? Like can, can, Crochet is an art form. Acrylic painting is an art form. Oil painting is an art form. Watercolor painting is an art form. Um, uh, sculpture is an art form. Writing is an art form. Photography is an art form. Now you're just rattling off art forms. Right. This is yeah. For the next 10 minutes, that's what I feel do. <laughs> just different art forms. Listen to all the different art forms. Right, but there's so many different, and master artists can do many different types and maybe have ways that they prefer or don't prefer, but would could cross over because of interest. So I feel like I, my understanding of God, I don't think 
would limit him from doing that, those things. Like, I think God is totally capable. Like, we're, I don't think we're, we would disagree on, like, God's the capability. ability of God to do that because he created this whole freaking universe so he can do whatever the heck he wants. Shout out God. Shout out to God. <laughs> Y'all are nerds. <laughs> um, but I feel like the, so back to this theory about it being hidden. Mm. Like, if so, if we find, I feel like if we find alien life, whatever form, I feel like sometimes people would use that against the value or the uniqueness of Earth and say like, oh, well, God couldn't have, God couldn't have made humans on Earth only because look, look, there's also this over here. It's more evidence to back up like a more scientific evolutionary worldview. I think there's a lot of things, though, that are known to exist scientifically that people often use as reasons to excuse that there isn't a God. And I don't think that finding life on a different planet would be any different than some of the other things that people currently try to use to so to th- prove God doesn't exist. Yeah. So then my next my next point is, like, if we find it, so what? <laughs> Here I am again. Like I don't see I don't think it at the beginning we didn't distinguish whether it's intelligent or unintelligent or whatever life just any micro to so to me unintelligent life form like a microorganism like I honestly not a big deal don't wouldn't care as much cuz like what are what are they going to do unless it's a virus oh crap mm. shoot that's an interesting and terrifying point because that that brings us to the question of should we find aliens or know about them if we find them? Because what if contact with them would mm. hurt us or wipe out our species? Historically speaking, there was a group of people, <laughs> many groups of people that lived the in Incas? the American continents that encountered aliens and their bacteria killed them yeah. and viruses. Straight so up. That's the totally American real. Yeah. Genocide. It's happened before. Yeah. It'd be a bad deal. Um, Crazy. Astronauts, this was something that was really interesting. Coming back from space, have to be quarantined. I think it's 21 days with all of their gear, everything they bring back from space, just always kind of to make sure if if something hitchhiked back that it couldn't. And if you're there. an astronaut listening to us during your quarantine, that's three full episodes. Give us a follow on our, <laughs> on our Instagram account. It would just be kidding. super awesome if you followed us. For sure. <laughs> and then told me about all the aliens that you saw. I would be into it. I don't know if that conversation would happen. I think that's a that's for a conspiracy theory podcast. Oh, the wait, that's not what this one is. Oh man! <laughs> Ooh, shots fired from the hip. Okay, bang, guys. Bang. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> We're so sorry. what's the okay. second way? The, second, so the one, second one. Yeah. The second one is aliens are imprisoned on super earths. So a super wait, earth. Wait, wait. Okay, sorry. Good. Yeah. <laughs> on super earth. In astronomy, the term refers to a type of planet with a mass up to 10 times greater than earths. So stars star surveys have turned up many of these that could have the right conditions for liquid water, so those Goldilocks planets, mm-hmm. um, which means that conceivably alien life could be on these super earths but because a planet with 10 times earth's mass would also have an escape velocity 2.4 times higher than earth's which means that it would be almost impossible to launch something off so they wouldn't be able to leave the planet because right. of the amount of energy they would that need would to- need to take it mm-hmm. so this would be assuming that the alien life on one of these planets was not at a more intelligent level they just shouldn't have humans. the amount of resources on that planet right. to make yeah. the same jump. So yes. they're trapped there? They're trapped because they can't leave the gravitational pull. My first picture Poor when them. you said they were imprisoned on the planet was that uh, there were other humans on other planets that didn't want the aliens to leave their planet because they saw them as threats to the universe, and so they put them in prisons on their planet. You were like, imprisoning Poor the aliens. aliens. <laughs> <laughs> they're behind bars. Sad. Okay. They're not smart enough to leave. Right. Cool. It's fine. Yeah. Okay. So Or they're or they're I mean, or they're like a microorganism. Or a microorganism. Which couldn't or an animal. Which could, really will have a hard time launching itself high <laughs> enough at a high enough unless they're crazy. I'm picturing the raccoon from Guardians of the Galaxy. Hey. Jetpack. 
What's his name? I don't remember. All right. What's the third one? All right, y'all. This one, this one's a reach for me. Ayo. Um, reach for the stars. It oh, says no. that we are looking in all the wrong places because alien, all aliens are robots. So the mm. premise of this comes from a futurist, Seth Shostak. And Just who, Shostak. What is a futurist? Someone, Someone who, who thinks about the, the future? future? Yeah. I, I think so. Is, that, is like, that a valid field of study? They, they interview futurists for dystopian movies sometimes. You see it in like those yeah. features. They talk about, here's our theory about like the way the universe will work. I feel like that would be a really cool job. Yeah. If podcasting and teaching don't work out for me, <laughs> futurist. You could be a futurist. That'd be super fun. Um, just like thinking of all of the possible possibilities and how it could be good or bad. Yeah, that really... Anyway, um, the premise is that AI will take over the world. We've had machines for a long time, but actually not really that long. If you look about it in the context of human history, and we've already gone from having um, this huge computer that took up a room in the, in the 1945 to um, like AI technology, mm, right? Yeah. So theoretically, AI could continue to evolve and then take over a race. So he's saying that um, that as as AI and machines evolve, eventually they will take over the life that created them. So we shouldn't be looking for Goldilocks planets. We should be looking for planets that machines would want to be in because all aliens or the alien, some aliens or however many percentage of aliens are, have been replaced by robots. Maybe we should go over the few reasons why that theory is completely (laughs) idiotic. Do tell. Um, Starting with the fact that um, all of it, (laughs) (laughs) all of it was uh, written by a futurist, uh, which we know is just an extremely valid (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Dang it! That was such a good bit. That was amazing. <laughs> I think we can still keep it. I we feel like go we need back. to keep going. She went. There's all, no way I'm cutting that. There out. is water all over Abigail's face right now. I think we need to take a break, Candace. <laughs> I'm down for that. Let's take a break. <laughs> And welcome to the segment called Words Are Hard with Candace, where I share an interesting word or phrase. Today's word is griot, spelled G-R-I-O-T. A griot is a West African historian, storyteller, praise singer, poet, or musician. The griot is a repository of oral tradition and is often seen as a leader due to his or her position as an advisor to royal personages. As a result of the former of these two functions, they are sometimes called a bard. And this word comes from the Portuguese criado, meaning created. Alex Haley, in his book Roots, the Saga of an American Family, once wrote, It is rightly said that when a griot dies, it is as if a library has burned to the ground. Griot. Welcome back. Um, although I do think a futurist could be a very valid career path, I do think that the last uh, point about aliens all being robots is probably super dumb. It would take a futurist to know that a futurist is a good job in the future. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a bad joke. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, right. So point number, whatever number we're at, four, four three, five. whatever. We've already found aliens, but are too distracted to realize it. What? Yeah. So this theory has come from a, a group of psychologists in Spain was talking, talked about how we have, all of us have the preconceived notion as to what an alien looks like. Humanoid, probably tall, Green. Whatever. Human, human-esque, right? Um, so you're looking for human-esque structures for human-esque people on other planets. So they took 137 people in a small study, these researchers, then asked 137 people to look at pictures of other planets and scan the images for signs of alien structures. Not aliens, but structures. Hidden amongst several of these images was a tiny man in a gorilla suit. 
as the participants hunted for what they imagined alien life to look like, only 30% saw the gorilla man. So the point is that aliens probably aren't going to look anything like apes or people at all. And is having this preconceived notion of what an alien is going to look like causing us to not notice the like reality. Like we're missing the point? Like we're... Like we've, we've already found it, but we just, we didn't realize. We didn't realize We just it. skimmed over it. Yeah. It's in Jupiter. Right. On Jupiter? <laughs> in. It's a gas giant, right? Yeah, but... I don't know. Can you stand on Jupiter? I don't know. Depends on how I think how you die they... before you get to stand on anything. You could like... Put one toe I mean, on we can't stand on Jupiter, Darn but it. the aliens that live in Jupiter might be able to. Hmm. What I think I hear you saying is that more people should watch Doctor Who so that there's a broader range of alien, hum- like not but, humanoid okay, beings they could in, think of. Even in Doctor Who, they're mostly humanoid. If you think, or robots, <laughs> they're or humanoid they're or tiny robots. Balls of flesh, like well, the adipose, oh, those were yeah, terrifying. Those were quite creepy. Doctor Who is a good show. Okay. Out of 10, recommend. Next. Humans will kill all the aliens oh. or already have. That's bleak. That kind of falls into what you were saying. Would that be unethical? For humans to kill aliens? Yeah. Let's say we found an alien race. Let's say we deem it less intelligent, like maybe close to like an animal level, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say their bodies produce a valuable resource that humans find very precious. Like if they just like poop diamonds. <laughs> Right, and we're like, we need to harvest their poop. them and their 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 poopy diamonds. But that's assuming that diamonds get are the diamonds. But that's also Ooh, assuming we can breed them in like industrially. It's also that assuming that diamonds are important to society, guys. This is a whole <laughs> different conversation. There are more diamonds in the world <laughs> than we believe that there are. This is we are actually thing. we are diamonds. <laughs> we just don't see it. <laughs> I just love how passionate we got about diamond poop. <laughs> <laughs> Diamonds are actually so common that they're ac- they're not valuable when you talk about scarcity. It's just that there's only a few diamond companies and they hold withhold all the resources mm. and sell them for exorbitant prices. I have a point on the resource idea. The mm-hmm. let's say the aliens would poop diamonds and we what are, what not are diamonds they're well, not valuable <laughs> we're one of the ethics of harvesting something from the animals well according to the international space treaty of like 1967 i think i think it was 1967 or check me on that um in that treaty we agreed as the world there i think there are like 30 countries that have there's like 109 countries that have gotten behind it and like 30 signatures on it and they all agreed that no single com- country can own space or pieces of space, but they do agree that you can harvest things from space, much in the same way that on international waters, you could, you could set up an oil rig. Uh-huh. Yeah, so okay. you don't own the water underneath, but you can own the resources that you pull from it. Uh-huh. So countries can harvest things from space. You just can't own bits of it. So what if we are harvesting willy-nilly, we're getting rocks or whatever, and there are microorganisms unawares? on those things we're harvesting. So we're actually killing aliens as we speak. So without getting into the validity of international treaties and what value <laughs> they hold, like what if you just don't care? Like by the time you are the country that has access to space and you find a, you know, super earth that has hidden gem fields of raccoon whatever. Poop. I was picturing like, raccoon from You probably can call the shots. And I do whatever the heck you want. That's probably not true, though. I think that once people have started getting resources from pl- other planets, mm-hmm. other countries are going to take notice, and it'll probably start. I'm sure it'll start some sort of a conflict, regardless of if it's a space wars. <clears throat> yeah. Hey, there's some. There's like a movie series about that. I was like, Planet Wars. Star Wars. No, <gasps> that can't be Star it. Star Wars. And then there's like a good guy side and the bad guys. And then, like, random things like aliens and There's lots of things meditation. you want to harvest. Hmm. Weird. What's the next uh, theory that we're missing out on? <laughs> aliens triggered climate change and died. Oh. So, kind oh. of, they should have listened to our podcast. That's some, okay, interesting. So, they wiped themselves out uh-huh. because of a the climate way we, event. Like, like we did? Like we are about to. Oh, yeah, we haven't done it yet. <laughs> True. All right, futurist. When a population burns through resources faster than its planet can provide, there's catastrophic events can 
come from that, right? We're seeing it right now on Earth as we're burning through our resources and our climate is growing warmer and we're having more catastrophic events. So the astrophysicist Adam Frank theorized that it's not only possible but very likely that aliens have kind of run their course of climate change and had their planets destroyed. So he ran a series of mathematical models to simulate how a hypothetical alien civilization might rise and fall as it increasingly converted its planet's resources into energy. The bad news is that in three of the four scenarios, the society crumbled and most of the population died. Only when society caught the problem early and immediately switched to sustainable energy did the civilization manage to survive. That means that if aliens do exist, the, eyes are pr- the odds are pretty high that they'll destroy themselves before we meet them or already have destroyed themselves. I feel like there are a few assumptions made by that study. First, that we can construct models to hypothesize about a completely different world where different resources may be required to Mm. sustain things where different planets you know have different ways of regulating the environment i mean if you just think about like i mean i'm just curious how he ran these calculations because is he basing you know even just the structure of the planet right is he basing the level of at you know the thickness of the atmosphere the amount of water existing on the surface of this planet I just feel like there's a lot of unknowns that we, we, you know, we don't know about aliens if they do exist, right? We don't know what their world is like. We don't know whether or not they require a certain type of environment or if they can fit into a white, like they can walk around or fly around or whatever in any kind of climate that we can even theorize, you know, hail and a sunny day at the beach at the same time. This seems a little bit more plausible to me and is kind of opening up my mind back to the AI theory because it's easier to think about something that's already on our timeline, so to speak, Mm -hmm. causing another civilization to crumble. Like, we're already seeing the effects. We talked about this in our climate change series. It makes sense. So it. I think that the calculations aren't as important so much as the the sheer number of options that there could be considering the, how vast our planet or our universe is, how vast everything is, how many planets are out there, how many Goldilocks planets are out there, how many planets are out there that machines could really like. Let's assume the AI would be a thing. I'm thinking of, um, all of the different alien TV shows and movies that have theorized different things about aliens, but the sheer number of variables there are, I think lead more possibilities for timelines that they could be further down at their timeline and hitting problems like running out of resources on their planet. And they've had to move away from a zone where we could see them, so to speak. That's ironic because usually in a statistical model, the more variables variables you have, the less likely it is that, the outcome is going to come out the way you're expecting because there's more things to mess it up. There's more things to say there actually wasn't even this planet or this planet was enable it. Are there? Because just the sheer number of things that could happen and the sheer number of ways that a a civilization could be farther along in there or, or farther along a different branch off of potential history. When that, I to think me, that, that doesn't make it more likely. But I think mm-hmm. that the kind of, to talk about the factors, several things. The thir- first thing is that this study was based off of a, a apocalypse that happened with Easter Island. Mm. Um, so oh, okay. th- that that was kind of the statistical, or the, that, that was used as the base model. And so my understanding of this research was that as... Um, time goes on with resources being used as the planet's temperature would rise. So therefore, uh, like an actual heating climate change event, like like what's happening kind of with us as an overarching warming while in the middle, other catastrophes are happening. And with that, I think we're going to need to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hello and welcome to Jokes with James, a time for laughter. Rafters hold a roof up. Today's joke is, what kind of music do planets listen to? Neptunes. This has been Jokes with James. 
We'll catch you next time. Welcome back. We have been working through some theories as to how aliens could exist and we could have not found them. Obviously, we don't have time to entertain all of them to their fullest. Um, but Because some were dumb. Yeah. I mean, aliens are not AI. Um, the, the next one, I think this is number seven or something. Um, aliens couldn't evolve fast enough and died. So this goes back into the idea of it would have to be in a planet that was being macro run by macroevolution, right? Um, so this is another one of those the aliens are already dead. So the universe could be teeming with hospitable planets, but there's no guarantee that they'll stay that way long enough for life to actually evolve. So according to a 2016 study from Australia National University, wet, rocky planets like Earth very, are very unstable when they first start. And if an alien life hopes to evolve and thrive in such a world, that is a limited window. So a few million years or whatever to get the ball rolling. Again, I think that depends on your worldview I think I wouldn't say, I would say that God totally could just start something there and let it fizzle out. It's just like a cosmic Petri dish. Yeah. It's like, drop, boop. Oh, look, they killed themselves. All right, next. Yeah. Next? (laughs) Oh, man. Are are we one of those? Are we? Or are we just like, or are we special? Like, this is like my, you know, my good aquarium. And then over here, I just drop random things in the water. I think we would be the good aquarium. Okay. Wait, wait, go back, because I don't think our listeners know what you're talking about. So do explain what you mean by good aquarium, Abigail. So one of my alien theories that I feel like fits really well with my worldview, and specifically my view of God, is that Earth exists kind of like an aquarium that God is keeping, or... Uh, terrarium if you will mm. and that he has as as many as he wants or desires because he has unlimited resources of course to take care of thousands or billions if he wanted or you know two or three or one and that we are the we are in one terrarium being taken care of and things that happen for us specifically in our terrarium do not necessarily translate over to the other terrariums, right? So that maybe not other alien life is created in the image of God. Maybe um, other alien life was, but fell at the Garden of Eden and God didn't chose not to redeem them. Or maybe um, they did fall and God, or didn't fall at all and God doesn't didn't need to redeem them because they're sinless out there, or maybe it's just a bunch of little pet frogs. That's fine too. God's little pet frogs. Ribbit, ribbit. Cool. So the next one that can be one of the theories. We haven't found them yet because they're in the next aquarium. They're in the over. next terrarium. Yeah, and or terrarium, or they're frogs. Or and they already live among us. No, but that would ha- that wouldn't work with the originating outside of That's Earth. Fair. So, yeah, it could totally, totally, right? Because then it could be that we can't access other life because we're confined by the, you know... Like our universe is finite. Yeah. So there's an edge. Right. We knock into the glass. Boom. Multiverse theory. That there's another universe on the other side. I... Okay, this was a while ago, and I'm probably going to say a whole bunch of this wrong. So please forgive me in advance. But not that long ago, I was reading an article about how they have found what seems to be an edge of our universe, like a point that might not be passable for us to be able to go. Now, it's not like the Milky Way. It's like out 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 there. there. Like they didn't drive a spaceship because, you know, not not that close. And um, but there might actually be an edge, which actually kind of started my my theory of the terrariums of like God could have many multiple walled, however sided finite universes. I feel like if the universe was truly infinite, I feel like that would be blasphemous. Yeah, because doesn't it say um, God? Because then God would be the universe. Could God not be the universe? But also, I don't think like, God is the universe because that's pantheism. And scripturally speaking, like it says that God holds like the universe in between his pinky and his. Could mouth. God's sense of infin- infiniteness be different than our universe's type of infiniteness, and so God wouldn't be the universe, but would still be infinite. Is infinite? 
it's well, but I think, time is time for us, and it is not. Well, I mean, for God. I think yeah, I think we're restricted by like the bounds of time, physics. Like we can only go. We haven't even traveled to the edge of the Milky Way. I don't. Yeah, think. I don't think so either. So, yeah, who knows what's out there? We can only glance at it through our telescopes and stuff like that. All right, what are some other reasons or theories? The next one is that dark energy is splitting us apart. So the universe is expanding, which is actually kind of interesting to talk about right coming after our just just now conversation. Um, But that galaxies are moving farther apart with distant stars appearing dimmer to us Mm -hmm. thanks to the pull of an invisible substance scientists call dark energy. Scientists speculate that within a few trillion years, I suppose if Earth lasts that long, um, dark energy will stretch the universe so that Earthlings will no longer be able to see the light of any galaxies beyond our closest cosmic neighbors. How sad. Yeah, it's a scary thought because if we don't explore as much as we can now, it may never happen. Unless there's nothing to find, then we're not missing out on anything. But I would Which disagree with that. Thought, you know? But I disagree with that. I don't think that even okay, even I mean, if I was lying. even if I was to entertain the idea that there isn't life on other planets, just to be able to find like resources that we could use from other planets or being able to to see what else is out there, you know, even not to take, even just to exist in a different yeah. place is just in and of itself. Mm-hmm. It kind of goes back to our, our climate change topic where we were talking about alien or animal species yeah. dying out and the, the loss of knowledge and the loss of learning that we yeah. have whenever we lose the opportunity to learn such as extinction or dark matter separating us from all forms of light. Yeah. I think it would be sad. What's our next one? Final. We're on to the final oh. one. I hope they save the best for last because so far it's been an underwhelming list. <laughs> it has been exactly whelming enough. Yeah, really? whelming lists. Whelming. Okay. That's not Some a of them like, I'm totally into. I'm totally into the idea of like it could be a super Earths, right? The super planets. Mm-hmm. And I also kind of feel like uh, existing underneath in the um, subterranean oceans. I'm into that too. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's easier to come up with theories why we haven't found them then come up with theories that they actually exist. I feel like... Because all of these, I feel like, aren't grounded in the... Like of what the, is, but what it isn't. The, yeah, exactly. It's like we're theorizing about ways we couldn't find them. Like, all humans are truly blind. <laughs> like, based on a study, 30% of people who don't open their eyes can't see anything. And so then, like, we're not... We can't even see aliens. We just see gorilla Because we're blinking too much. What if we're blinking too much? What if they only exist when we blink? That that's is another reason. Literal that's episode. another theory that, you know, we it's haven't called, explored. Don't, blink. don't and watch it's it, kids. called the don't Weeping blink. Angels. The Weeping Angels, yeah. yeah. If you blink, then you're dead. All right, I hope this last one Well, kind blows. of dead. I mean, but basically It's dead. creepy. Anyway. I hope this last one is out of this world. Oh. I want to address something real quick, that though, before painful. we move forward. When you said, I think it's easier to address that things aren't than that they are. I think sometimes um, it's also hard for us to accept things outside of our what we want to believe. And, I mean, there has been evidence of UFO sightings. There was a whole government organizations that existed into um, being able to monitor the... Um, UFO stuff. It came up on Air Force radars. There's like tons of documentation of these unexplained phenomena, but we don't always want to say, oh, that's aliens because it doesn't fit within what our perception of the world could be. And so it's, I think things like this are valuable because, um, well, what, Even if, if they're there, experiment. we would have seen them. Well, maybe not. Maybe they do exist. And maybe the thing that we did see was, you know, a UFO, maybe. Um, there, there were, they, they did, I mean, maybe they did land in Roswell, maybe area 51 is covering up mm-hmm. like these I mean, kinds of things, yeah. but we don't want to collectively believe that our, a, or that our government would be lying to us about it. And B, it just doesn't fit with what most of us generally accept or believe. And so saying, oh, there's these reasons why we haven't found them is I think just as plausible as reasons why they should exist. Um, I read a book a couple of months ago called Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. And in the book, he describes uh, a threshold of doubt that um, certain 
certain things may make you have slight doubts about a certain event or person or thing. And until you meet that threshold, you're not likely to do anything about those doubts. It's part of the reason why, um, people in places of power can, uh, be uh, like sexually assaulting people who are beneath them in power for years and years before finally, Mm -hmm. uh, 20 different people could that like that coach of the gymnast, uh, gymnastics team Mm -hmm. that had like for years been doing something horrible. And that threshold of doubt wasn't met because each individual person just had a piece of what was going on. So I think the threshold of doubt, for aliens for me is just a little bit too high to even be thinking that it's feasible because they're like we talked about earlier, James, that you were saying there are too many variables to really say feasibly what could happen even statistically. I think that that's swaying me against more still thinking it. I think the threshold is too high. I think, but this last reason will blow your mind. Oh, I'm not there yet. Oh, we're not not there there yet. yet. Oh, sorry. Um, I, was I just say, really, I'm looking forward to this last one, <laughs> but go ahead. I mean, get your hopes way up. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Oh boy. Um, Is this going to meet the threshold I, of doubt I want to go, me? I want to go back to that threshold of doubt though. It's really interesting. Um, like the things that we choose to want to believe in and the things that we choose to not want to entertain. Right. Or I, I should say entertain instead of believe that we want to entertain the possibility of and the things that we don't want to entertain the possibility of. Um, a while ago, uh, Candace and I watched this documentary on Netflix called unacknowledged. And in that it freaked me out y'all. And in that documentary, it was by a noted, uh, UFO expert by Dr. Stephen Greer. Um, I highly recommend it on Netflix. I've watched it a few times. It's pretty good. Um, but he, he has been kind of a UFO expert for a long time and he actually, um, briefs new government officials into all of this stuff. He has kind of Mm -hmm. like this high government job and he has been in charge of different, um, projects up and down as they've gone. And, and and anyway, it's very fascinating. But one of the things that he said in this documentary that has kind of really struck me is the amount of hard evidence that supports, um, like alien existence is greater than the amount of hard evidence that supports black holes. And yet as a whole society, we are super willing to believe that black holes are existent, but we don't want to believe and entertain the idea that aliens could exist. You dropped this bomb now and it's not (laughs) the last reason. It's just a thought. It's just a thought. Okay. Last reason. Um, I mean, I don't, do I, do I think black holes exist? I don't know. You're assuming I think black holes exist. Do you assume, do you believe black holes exist? I don't think I've (laughs) seen enough evidence. You're questioning your belief in black holes now. I mean, we haven't talked about black holes yet. (laughs) Stay tuned for our next series on things that don't exist. (laughs) Um, Oh wait, that's this. Never mind. Oh, Oh, too soon. Sorry. Can we get an ice pack for that? Last one. Let's do it. I'm so sorry, Abigail. I'm with you on it. I'm not going to tell you the heading of this last one. I'm just going to read it. Oh, boy. Okay. What a gift. Oh, dear. (laughs) I'm so excited. (laughs) If you left your house today, you saw an alien. The woman delivering mail, alien. Your next door neighbor, nosy alien. Your parents and siblings, aliens, aliens, aliens. At least that's one implication of the fringe astrobiology theory called the panspermia hypothesis. In a nutshell, the hypothesis says that much of life you see on Earth today didn't originate here but was seeded here years ago by meteors carrying bacteria from other worlds. Proponents of this theory have variously suggested that octopi tardigrades and humans were all seeded from other parts of the galaxy. Unfortunately, there's no evidence to back any of that up. One counter argument, <laughs> if bacteria That's carrying human DNA for this episode, <laughs> unfortunately we don't have any evidence to back it up. Just kidding. Uh, one big counter argument, if bacteria hashtag. carrying human DNA evolved on another nearby planet, why haven't we found traces of humanity anywhere else besides earth? Mm. Even if this hypothesis turns out to be plausible, it still doesn't help us answer, uh, for my nagging question. Where is everybody? Um, I do want to say that I super don't, ag- I really do not agree with that um, train of thought. I think my worldview as a Christian completely mm, puts yeah. that, like, mm-hmm. it cannot be possible because God created humanity. Um, 
from the dust of the earth. They are right? in part Breath that he life. did seed the humanity on earth. He did seed. So maybe we are all aliens living in I mean, we're formed human out of dust. bodies. It's true. In his breath. So I feel like with this whole discussion, there's just not really enough evidence for me to believe. You know, maybe I'm just one of those doubters, but you know what Jesus did to a doubter? He showed him his the marks on his hand and, and side. So if someone brings me an alien, whatever form it's in, that's I'll believe that. You guys aren't aliens, though. You're welcome. The threshold of doubt is still pretty high for me. Sorry. For me, I just really love the idea that aliens could be out there. I think it speaks to a really creative God. I just think it would be really, really amazing. I think it would speak even to his power and his might that there was more than just us. But before we end, I want to leave us with a Bible verse, Colossians 1, 16. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. So I think that if we did discover alien life, it would fit seamlessly into my view of God and of his power and of his might. And I don't think that that would be something that would concern me about it. And let us know what you guys think on our social media channels. You can find us on Instagram at The Inconclusive Podcast. And once again, you've reached the inconclusive end of The Inconclusive Podcast. Sharing is caring. If you liked this episode, please share it with your friends and family. Also, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Inconclusive Podcast. Talk to you next time.